This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What is the first thing that you would do if you had an extra hour in your life? Oh, the first thing I just thought was, oh, I'm going to need more than an hour to fit that stuff in. But uh, the fact is a lot of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time. I know that is for me. That's a big thing, uh, especially you get older. <laughs> um, and the question, you know, time for what? What would you do? Would it actually make you feel better? What is it that you feel you're missing in order, you know, that that would make it better? Um, and and one of the ways to sort of help figure out that out is is therapy. It can help you find out what matters most to you so you can do more of it or focus on what it is that you're spending your time on that that maybe isn't giving you that that sort of fulfilling experience. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of times people talk about therapy or they talk about mental health or it's about uh, trauma or it is about, you know, like like a, a great amount of pain or anything. And those things are all very valid and everything. But also, you know, in some ways there's stumbling blocks. Uh, there is sort of a, a, something indefinable that you're having a hard time getting to that maybe is stopping you from feeling as confident as you can, as good as you can. And, you know, therapy uh, is, is one way to go after that. If you are thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, is designed to, be, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire, you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. You may switch therapists at any time you like for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This is iFanboy Books Blowed Planetary Book One. Fanboy Books Blood. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Josh Flanagan. Hi. And we're here talking about Planetary Book One. Books Blood is the podcast where we review longer form books, not your weekly comics, your graphic novels, your OGNs, your compilations. We haven't done an omnibus yet, but that could happen, maybe. Anything longer than your standard 22 page, 20 page, 22. Look at me living in the past. 20 page comic book that comes out every <laughs> Wednesday. And this show is brought to you by the patrons at patreon.com slash ifanboy. They unlocked this uh, show along with the Toxplode, and they alternate every other month. Two months ago, the last show of this, we did the new Avengers trade, and so we're staying in that time frame by talking about Planetary Book One, which is a collection of the first half of Planetary as well as a couple of extra issues of the seminal Warren Ellis, John Cassidy, Laura Martin series. That ran from 1999 to 2009. So that would make this a little earlier. It's actually, I would say it's a different era than New Avengers. Well, it, it ran until 2009. Well, yeah, because... that's just, they couldn't finish it. <laughs> but if you think about like the, the where the industry it's was. A yeah, I mean, 99 was like bankruptcy. You know, that was Bendis just starting, you know, to be known and to do like Ultimate Spider-Man. So 2004 was like, I think that was that other book was 2004. 
I think of it as the same era, but those were very different times if you're a comic creator in terms of security, I think. Well, and before we get into this, the book itself, one of the things I wanted to talk about was that for people who came in in the last big wave, which I think was probably post-Civil War, Civil War and post-Civil War, okay, may not understand that there was a five-year period, maybe even shorter, in which Warren Ellis was the most important comic book writer happening. So he did Planetary from 99 to 2009. He did The, the Authority from 99 to 2000. He did Transmetropolitan from 97 to 2002. So I think from like 99 to 2002, mm-hmm. he was, I would say, the most important person writing comics. It's possible, or at least as important as anybody else. I mean, The you most could, influential? You could, he, he, I, you could put him next to Grant Morrison, I think, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. They both sort of went in two directions, but, you know, both wacky Brits, basically. To me, this is interesting because you you never really got out of comics, but I did. Mm-hmm. I was I was reading them when I was really when I was younger, say like eleven to thirteen or fourteen or something like that, and then I stopped. And then in ninety nine is when I came back to reading them. So, really, this is right from my discovery zone. Mm-hmm. And Warren Ellis had a big part in that, I would say, in sort of showing me that comics. It's funny because if you if you think back, you know, you would say that like eighty seven. Was which was when I first started reading comic books. Eighty eight was sort of the year that that comics changed into you know comics are not for kids anymore. Yeah. But really, ninety nine you know is it, the the late nineties was sort of a golden era for Vertigo comics and these kind of Wildstorm comics. At the same time that he was doing this for Wildstorm, uh, you had Alan Moore doing America's Best Comics for Wildstorm and Morrison doing JLA. Yep, and this is before DC acquired Wildstorm. Right. This might have been around that same time. I'm not sure exactly when that happened, but I know that like the Alan Moore comics were not part of DC because he flipped out when they became yeah, no, part yeah, of DC. Yeah, no, they weren't, they weren't. So this would have been the same. Yeah, and you had Warren Ellis. He wrote Stormwatch, which was a image Wildstorm property that was very Jim Lee-esque, mm-hmm. and that became the authority in 99 while he was doing Transmetropolitan at the same time. And then they came out with Planetary in 1999, and 99 was the year we graduated college, and 2000 was the first year you went to Comic-Con, and you came back mm-hmm. with a whole, whole list of books we had to check out. And this was, I don't know if this book was on that list, but this was not a book that I came on from the beginning. I came on somewhere, I was trying to remember as I was reading this book, but I couldn't remember exactly, but it was somewhere you, around 9 or 10. Did you do all of it? Yeah, so what happened was I heard, you know, I, I started reading when you came back, and I, I definitely Transmetropolitan was on the list and the authority. So I, I was reading, I got those books, and this was back, you know, when you, you couldn't download them and you, you didn't really find them at the store. So I was, I was a furious eBay shopper. <laughs> and I remember getting like years of Transmetropolitan off of eBay. But then I went to the store, I think it was Jim Hanley's Universe in New York, and got the latest issue of Planetary Reddit, and we'll explain why. You could just sort of read a random issue yes. when we get into the story. Loved it. Went on eBay and got everything that had come out up to that point. So I don't, I don't remember exactly. I couldn't, I, it was really bugging me that I couldn't remember which I, one. But it was like around 11 I or 10. bought them. I don't think I did eBay, but I think I literally went back issue diving to get the first however many I read. Something like 10 or 11 or something yeah. like that. Also. I think we came um, in around, around 10 because that was when we discovered it. It was around that And time. I have them. And I know that I have the first one signed by Warren Ellis, so that would indicate that it, I, I either got it done at that San Diego Comic-Con or maybe he came to the Golden Apple, I think, mm-hmm. one time. This would have been in the heyday of the Warren Ellis Forum as well. Right, yeah. Where a lot of guys who are still working today came out of... Bendis and Matt Kieran Gill and Matt Fraction. 
They were all there. Bendis had his own thing. Was he on there? He would pop into the Warren Ellis Forum. Yeah, he was, he was already sort of a known quantity. Well, almost. So, uh, either way, uh, it was a very fertile time, uh, and I tend to think of it as sort of probably my favorite era. I think that's clear after I think I, after the Gush Fest that was the New Avengers podcast. I think. Yeah. What's great about this show, the Booksplode show, was that when was I ever going to reread Planetary? Right. Yeah, you're right. You know, like Same I, thing. I, I reread it when it came out in Absolutes. I have the Absolute editions that cover the whole run. But that was years and years ago. But like, when was I ever going to read it again? I just there's so much stuff constantly coming at us. But it was really nice to go back and reread New Avengers. It was really nice to go back and read Planetary, and remember what it was like in that time. So Planetary was a. Sh- it didn't last long, it, although it was. It came out over ten years. There's only twenty seven issues. It was, it was somewhat regular for the first half, and then you started getting two yep. or three issues a year for the for the next ten years. Which then became Warren Ellis's M.O., where he never did anything over three issues, and even that was going to be a stretch. I mean, it was the thing when you said he was the biggest writer, it's important to understand that after a little while, he kind of went, I'm good. Yeah. And he did everything at his own pace. And he could get away with it because he was Warren Ellis, and, you know, if he needed money, he'd do an article for Wired or something like that. You know, right. he, he he can live that lifestyle, which is, looks like a thing that he wanted to do. But this was from a, what I will say, was a hungrier time for him. Sure, he was, I think he was like 30 or something around this time. Yeah. Before we even get into it, I just yeah. wanted to, the first thing that I noticed is that I flip uh, after the cover and I see introduction by Alan Moore. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, I had the same and I reaction. Go, no way that he wrote this for this. Dated Northampton, December 14th, 99. I was like, that makes much more sense. Yeah, I, I did. I flipped to the end too because I, I had this exact same reaction. I was like, what? <laughs> so I feel like that would have been really impressed. That would have been bigger news if they'd gotten a new Alan Moore uh, intro. But one of the things, so a hallmark of Warren Ellis' storytelling, which sort of continues to this day as he pops up here and there doing you know, Moon Knight or Secret Avengers or whatever, is that, and we know, we know this from being around at the time, he didn't really like superheroes. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what this book is really all about. Yeah. This book is basically anti-superhero and sort of pro-pulp. It I, it depends. I mean, you you could almost say the same thing about authority, but n- neither of these are super. Neither of those are superhero f- formatted stories. It, it's not it's, like Garth Ennis is anti superhero. This is more like I wouldn't say subtle because it's pretty o- out in the open here. The superheroes tend to be the bad guys in Planetary, but it's Warren Ellis has a certain kind of affection for certain kind of stories, and superhero stories aren't really on that list. But I also think that, like, if you look at both of those, both and and again, the the Authority, Stormwatch, Planetary, these take place in the same universe. Yeah. So there's this basically in all of them. There's you know super beings as kind of overlords. Yeah. Like they're not actually in charge of everything. They're not monarchs or dictators, but really. The the idea is that like really these people do have all the power and we're sort of at their mercy. Yeah. And so if they happen to be dicks, you know, then that's not good for everybody. And then you know, vice versa, they have to be. You know, nobody's like a shining good person in any of these. Planetary is a story of three people: Elijah Snow, Jaquita Wagner, and the drummer, who are the field operatives for a group called Planetary, which is a shadowy organization that is dedicated to uncovering the secret and strange things about the world, the history. And it has limitless funding. Limitless funding, technology, bases all over the planet. A mysterious benefactor called the Fourth Man, uh, who's revealed by the end of this book. Right, and they go around uncovering the alternate history of the world. And the format of the series is that 
while there is definitely a ongoing story throughout the book, it's basically every issue is a self-contained story, which is why you and I could jump on an issue. We'll just say we'll just say randomly issue ten, and read a self, self-contained book, even though there was things happening in the background. It, it was basically each issue was its own mission that they went on, uh, but at least in this book. You know, stylistically, they would jump from genres where one of them was sort of a Hong Kong action movie slash ghost story. You know, another one was, you know, more of a cosmic fantasy kind of thing. Right. So I, I try to keep track. So here's what I have. So issue one, we got the Doc Savage Justice League analog. Issue two was Godzilla and the, those yep. monsters. Issue three was the Hong Kong cop story, ghost cop story. Four, I didn't have anything. Four, five was the Return of Doc Savage. Six was Fantastic Four. Seven was Constantine plus <laughs> Trans Metropolitan, where Constantine basically becomes a spider. Yep. Uh, eight Atomic Age stories like them, with the giant ants. Nine, I, didn't ha- I had nothing. Ten was Fantastic Four killing Superman, One Woman, and Green Lantern. Eleven was Nick Fury. Twelve was the reveal of the Fourth Man. Thirteen was Frankenstein, Sherlock Holmes, and Dracula. Mm-hmm. So we meet those versions of, of these kind of characters in this world. And it lets Warren Ellis explore these archetypes and sort of remake them in, in this world's image, a much darker world. I, I, I love this book. Transmetropolitan was his magnum opus, but like I have a special place in my heart for Planetary. It's funny because I, I had forgotten that. And I, I, I – because basically my history was that, that I read it and I, I got to – honestly, I don't think I got it Yeah. at first really what it was doing and i think that actually that lack of a through line that thing that every issue was separate and also they were referring to things that at the time i did not know Mm -hmm. i think largely i was i mean i was um, uh, if you look back at this i was a much less sophisticated i didn't have uh 18 years of uh, a comic book website work under me to sort of parse everything sure And, and and so it's pretty interesting to go back and, and all of a sudden it's very clear what I'm reading, whereas the first time I wasn't. So I, I, I would say I wasn't mature enough to sort of deal with it or at least, you know, I didn't know enough. My level of appreciation now is probably even stronger than it was then. But even even then, yeah. I, I just love alternate history, secret history stories. And so this scratches that itch in a big way. Plus alternate versions of characters that I know and love is also fun for me. Now, the thing that's interesting about that is that I don't know I don't know how I f- feel about when I look back at all of this stuff and and it's it's funny because it's the same thing we give Alan Moore a lot of credit but when I really look at the bulk of his work all of it or or a ton of it is is you know referential yep. to other stuff that came before it and again Warren Ellis I tend to think the same sort of thing but he sort of branched out of it later where he's doing more original stories but these are all like all of this stuff is our takes on pre-existing things and themes well transmet was really really original at the same time yes it was yeah you're right you're right but sort of his i guess his more mainstream work it's very and it was also very much in the shadow and in vain of alan moore i think but with his own voice right it's funny because it doesn't matter that this was from 1999 or, or whenever. You could read this now, and it, it's exactly the same tone and voice as the stuff he's putting out right now. But <laughs> yeah. he is that guy. He's fully formed as a as a voice, as a sort of way of he's he's a little more sparse now, I would say, but but not much. You know, he's always got a character who sounds like one of these grumpy characters. Yeah, they're all grumpy. Book. They're all really 
really competent at the, like David Mamet characters. You know, they're yeah. all really competent. They're all grumpy. They all are tough. They've got one liner for every situation. Mm-hmm. It's not original, but he's very good at it. He is. Yeah, no, I think he's original in the terms of like it's his voice. It doesn't sound like anybody else. It's like it's like John Milius is really good at tough guys and Warren Ellis is really good at his version of tough guys. And what he's really good at making it seem original is by adding in the layer of science. He's always been yeah. you know, somewhat of a futurist. You know, he writes, as you mentioned, he writes science columns for magazines and he researches technology a lot. So here you get a lot more. I remember, you know, so as it turns out, the bad guys in the series are the their version of the Fantastic Four and and so we we meet their invisible woman and she has to have, wear goggles because an invisible person couldn't see because they don't have the light would never hit their their retinas and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. and you just never thought of that in comics. It's just you know they go invisible and they, so he, he you know he would think about things like that, you know, making sure that the visible person had to wear goggles or, or the what were the what were the real world ramifications of some of these powers or at least pseudoscience ramifications of them yeah it's 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 like it's a really good way for like a pedantic person to make good <laughs> right you know like like in a lot of circumstances somebody would be oh you wouldn't be able to see there would be no light bounce no have a retina how would you explain it and he manages to do that in a way that seems cool which is quite a feat really and not obnoxious yeah right yeah exactly and also i i think i i, I don't know if it makes a huge difference but i think there's definitely there's something to be said that this was work that was done before he was such a beloved sort of cult figure as a writer. I think it was happening. Well, I mean, this is—I think these three books. It was coming happening, at the same while, time. but it wasn't—it wasn't fully formed. Now, so there, there was definitely—he's always got a confidence, I think, in his work, and it shows all over the place. But like I said, there was there is a bit of a hunger here. He, he, his work seems very effortless now, and I and I don't really mean that in a bad way. But there's something about it where he's just like, I'm going to just do this exactly what I want. I don't really care what anybody says. He's still trying to impress a little bit here. I think it's very yeah. subtle, and I might be reaching, but I. No, I think I, I think like, there's a feeling of occasionally he coasts with a job. I think yeah. that's fair. Whereas here he's not coasting. No, nor was he coasting on Transmetropolitan or the Authority at the time. So. To me, the big story here is remembering why John Cassidy became such a big deal and seeing sort of the arc of his style. So when I see Cassidy now, I had sort of forgotten why I loved him so much because his his style has changed and it's sort of his characters now have a weird sort of plasticky look to them. And I spent a lot of time while I was reading thinking about what the difference is, and I still don't feel like I could put my finger on it. There was one issue where I saw it, and that was in the annual where they did the Hulk story, and I didn't know if that annual came out at a later point. The, the one thing this book doesn't do a good job of is telling you what you're reading or when it came out, but he didn't draw the characters the way they were drawn in the rest of the book in that annual. And I, didn't, mm-hmm. I just don't know when that one came out. There's a life and a fluidity and a moodiness in some places to to his art in this, and it doesn't exist anymore in the way he draws. Some of the stories required a different kind of style, and he would do really shadowy stuff, and mm-hmm. his facial work w- didn't look so, as we described in the Star Wars, you know, face melty. Like, it just it had yeah. a life to it. And, you know, between him and Brian Hitch, these books really changed the way a lot of comics looked and, and were made at the time. And uh, yeah. I, like, I, think this, I think this book looks terrific for the most part. It really does. I, I almost feel like it's just like the inking has changed or... I don't know what it or, is. Or like it's hard to color him 
or you know like it what's funny is that when i think back of at laura of laura martin i remember her as being sort of the premier colorist at this time next to dave stewart who probably got all of her eisners but still <laughs> right. she was the one really pushing breaking boundaries and, and doing it in a mainstream work and now when i think of looking at her work it feels a little dated to me but uh in the context of this planetary i thought no this is right she's not overdoing it at all no certainly not in the context of the time when you th- Think about how garish a lot of stuff looked then and how bad. If you remember back at this time, you know, Marvel was really just getting into uh, in widespread digital color and it looked terrible. Everything was dark and there was too much Photoshop effects and, and yep. prisms and shit. Way too much shading going on. Yeah, and, and she's really... Well, there was a reason why dude. she was she was the, one of the best in the business at the time. Yeah. She, she, got, she figured out the, the tools early. Yep. It took everyone else five or ten more years to figure out what she had already figured out. And she and Dave Stewart are just a completely different kind of colorists. Yeah, yeah, totally. But I'm looking at this Tokyo ghost story and the, and the, you know, the art with the ghost itself. It just it looks incredible. Yeah, it's true. The way it's drawn and colored. I mean, he was a superstar. And I remember, I remember the first time going to Comic-Con and seeing him at the DC booth signing. And I, almost, I started freaking out a little bit internally because he draws the drummer to be he's, – he's himself. He, the drummer yeah. is a self-portrait. And it was literally like seeing a character come to life. I had never experienced that before. And it was, I freaked out a little bit the first time I saw him because it was like looking at the yeah. drummer. I mean, this is dynamic. It's, it's exciting. Yep. Great craggly Elijah Snowface. It's that widescreen thing that they talk about, which mostly refers to Brian Hitch, but it's in here too. These panels are all cinematic. They're, you know, they look like storyboards basically in a lot of it. His method is usually not a lot of panels per page. Yep. Uh, a lot of horizontal panels all the way, you know, Four or five, maybe six panels total. A lot like Tony Harris. Tony Harris has uh, page layouts like that also. I tend to think of those guys as, as similar in that way. Yeah. Yeah, I you're mean, right. It's it, And it really does look fantastic. And it looks looks like nobody else and nothing else. Um, and then you've got like, I don't know. I don't remember which issue it is. I think it's four where they find the underground old spaceship, the sentient spaceship. And, uh-huh. and the, the cop is transported into it. You know, and there's a... It's not a two-page spread, but there's sort of a wide shot of this guy in there, and this is all this beautiful decoration and design about the, you know, on the inside of the ship, you know. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I, I, you never see him do that today. No, well, you talk about being young and hungry. I mean, yeah, you know. I mean, basically, and he became. I mean, more or less, he became a cover guy. He was the in-house cover guy for Dynamite for the most part, and he would do some other stuff. Oh, he did Captain America. He's doing some Brian Hitch stuff. Well, yeah, but Captain America was a long time ago. I can't yeah. remember the last time he did like regular interiors or anything like that uh well star wars he did the first couple issues of star wars yeah yeah you're that right. was the last time i, th- I remember him saying an but he's really doing like some big brian hitchy kind of stuff in here too so again you have that that hunger yeah it really was like doing new avengers it was like it was going back to something that was really mind-blowing and fresh Man, I will never get those creepy, skinny, Doc Savage, Doc Brass oh. legs out of my head. Oh. As soon as I turned to it, I was like, oh, I never want to see that again. <laughs> you know, Why great, is that so creepy? What was great about this this book was that, and I don't know if you, you, saw, you saw it or not, but they have one of Warren Ellis' scripts in the back. I did see that, yeah. Did I was you, reading through did it. Did you read through it? I love how grumpy he is in the script, too. Yeah. There's one point where he yells at the letterer. He was like... <laughs> It's not captions. It's word balloons without tails. If I wanted captions, I would tell you captions. And <laughs> I'm just glad to see he was he was basically not pretending to be who he was. He was actually that that person. Yeah, or he was just that person to everybody. It's interesting. To, I mean, it's 
I've never seen one of his scripts before. It was fun to see how he. How he I, I have. I, I actually. I I remember these from early on. One of the things I learned from is sort of just how how sparse he was. Mm-hmm. You kind of like it's it's a really good. He does a whole page, you know, in less than a page, and and so you look in his 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 panel descriptions are very very sparse. Well, it's funny because he came out of the Alan Moore. He's post Alan Moore, and yeah. he, he couldn't be more different in terms of how he works. Yeah, it's true. It's you know. true, but you realize like how much he leaves up to the artist, which is which is uh, honestly, as, as far as I understand, it's the way it's supposed to be. Well, he says um, it here too when they're talking about the, the alternate Justice League. Says I can give you some ideas for designs, but basically you're here to go nuts, so go nuts. I'll do it, but really, I'd rather you do it. <laughs> it's incredibly economic, though. Yeah. I mean, it's just a fun, you know, there's mysteries upon mysteries that when they, when they figure something out, it unleashes new questions, which is what any, any good story should do. Whenever you find an answer, you should get two more questions from that answer. And it just really was some beautiful storytelling. It's, it's a shame that it, it ended up being one of those books that became kind of a joke for its schedule. But taken, taken well, as a whole, it's, it's incredibly fun to read. Yeah, I mean, we can also look back and say, well, he did finish it. So now at this point, you know, and I, and I haven't read, I don't think I've read past what was in this book. So I don't know if it if it falls off a cliff or what. The art probably does. I don't remember. I did read it when it, when it came out, but I don't remember. But it, yeah. it, Cassidy's art did change in, in 10 years, so there's no way it's going to look as good as it did in the beginning. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. It is. Looks like the next uh, intro is by Joss Whedon. And that one is from 2001. So they did not commission any new <laughs> new intros <laughs> oh yeah no it changes right away you can see it in the first issue i think this is a great book for people to jump onto to check out it doesn't require any foreknowledge you these characters are all new basically yeah. you don't have to know any backstory it gives you all it's, in fact, it's all about finding out the backstory of this world and so it's all revealed through the book itself i think this is great if you want to sample that era again you know transmetropolitan is mean, a commitment it's a 60 issue commitment the authority it's, was it 12 issues they did or whatever it was? It's not a lot. It's two trades of war. And it's Ellis fun. Count Stormwatch. I liked the authority a lot, but I think from, from my money, if you just want to give it a shot, Planetary can't, you know, is a great place to, to, to try. And if you like that, then I, then I would say check out Transmetropolitan and really dig into it because that's a, that's a preacher-esque length. You know, that's, com- uh, that's one of my favorite series of all time. That yeah. was a, that's a, Transmetropolitan is a big reason why I'm still doing this stuff that we're doing here talking about it i take it back the beginning of the, the beginning for few issues at least on book two are, are pretty great looking yeah and all, i mean i just think as a as a piece of history if you're interested in sort of eras of comic books this is this is kind of a a milestone you know part of a milestone of that era it's absolutely worth reading and and just sort of trying to understand you know for me like to understand where warren ellis comes from is to sort of understand where comics in general, we're, we're taking turns and we're sort of setting different kinds of tones than they had been before. Mm-hmm. And breaking new ground, which again, like if you look back, a lot of what is in here, I've seen since then. You know, a lot of this became standard. You know, I think, I mean, I can, I can see influence from this. You know, I said this was clearly influenced by Alan Moore to a certain extent, but I can see influence from this, you know, in Tom King's work, mm-hmm. in all sorts of things. And, and people who came out of well, people our age, basically, where they were reading this when they were, you know, in their early mid twenties or something like that, and sort of realizing, hey, this is significant work, and and having that spark other ideas. I think this is in- extremely important in that respect. Yeah, I mean, he was he was a guy who nurtured 
as you said, Matt Fraction, Brian Wood, Kieran Gillen, yeah. that whole class, that whole age of creators literally came out of his forums. Mm-hmm. He's that sort of middle piece. You got your Alan yeah. Moore, Frank Miller's late 80s guys. Morrison spans that time because he was still doing influential work at the same time Warren Ellis was. And yeah. then ca- coming out of that was Mark Miller, yeah. Brian Wood, Kieran Gillen, Matt Fraction, and then you lead to the next wave of guys, which was Jason Aaron, Hickman, all those guys. But Ellis was as important as anybody in that early 2000 bridge time between sure. between the late 80s and, and then what and, became... And, and that was a really sketchy time. So another thing that he brought was sort of I was like a mainstream sensibility, basically. It wasn't a guy who was sort of building on superheroes comics past. It wasn't, you know, like he may have been a student of Roy Thomas, you know, in a way. He may have understood all that stuff and known about it, but he was definitely doing comics that he, it felt like the idea was you could give these comics to anybody, not just a comic book nerd. And yep. at that time, a comic book nerd was a real was a was a real thing that people did not brag about being if they yep. had had social media, which they didn't. <laughs> and that's that's like important. Like these were comics that were supposed to be cool, which yeah. was not something that existed at that point. They were adult. They could be, you know, anybody could pick them up and read them and talk about them the same way if you were reading a novel or watching a cool movie or something like that. It should make them hip pieces of pop culture that were, you know, accessible and interesting and not nerdy. And that, as much as anything, has to do with that sort of tone that we're talking about. Um, That was a big deal. Yeah. I think. For sure. I I really do think he he defines that five-year area, but we can can squibble over over that. But I, I think... You know, the look of his books, the tone, that feeling of mature, adult, cool comics. Yeah. It took me a little while to get to that. People strove like, for that after him. Still are. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think, again, well, he, like... He's also exceptionally smart. Okay, without a doubt. And you have to be kind of exceptionally smart to pull this off and not feel hacky. Yeah. So Morrison's also exceptionally smart and or exceptionally in tune with the universe, and he pulls that yeah. off in a different way. And it's one of those things, like, I don't think you need to be smart to enjoy this, but no, I think you need sure. to be able to recognize what smart is. You have to be able to go, this is really smart. You know, like, and even if you don't get what that is, even when I stopped reading it before, the reason was, like, I'm not getting it. Like, it, it wasn't because there was a problem with the work. It's because I was like, I'm not ready for this. And, and you know, now I, which is really interesting. If it, And again, that that sort of. When we're talking about comic books that are that are not for the comic book reader, that's part of it. Like there's a sophistication in here that you know a lot of other work hadn't had. They had nothing to lose. Right. I mean, like in in a way. I think you're right in that Tom King comparison. It sort of feels like the difference between reading a Tom King book now and reading other. other oh yeah, books. I, I definitely see that. And and he would have been he's our age basically, so it would have been the same kind of thing. So w- before we close out, did you have like a favorite issue here or favorite? Bit I, I really liked, I really liked the Constantine issue a lot. I did too. It, I, it was weird. It was weird. Like, but I a liked lot it. of it was, a lot of it was me trying to. I spent a lot of time like parsing as I was reading it, where I was like, what am, what am I doing here, and why is this good? And like, I, I, in a good way. Mm-hmm. Like, I was enjoying sort of trying to figure out what he was getting at. And so, if you were to ask me what my favorite thing is, it was. I like an ongoing story, so I like the uncovering of what's going on and, yes. and, and watching Snow sort things out. Oh, that, shit. That's sort of my favorite part of it. I just figured it out what issue was the first one I read. It was issue 11. Yeah. The Nick Fury issue. That was my first issue of Planetary. I feel like that was mine, but I'm not sure. It was, it was, it was the same time. Let's, let's read this book. So it would have been the same book issue that came out you know, that week. Yeah, because I, I didn't start with this. I would have started reading 
I started reading Transmetropolitan first out of all this stuff. And then eventually I got around to this. Eh, probably around the same time as The Authority. I remember I bought a trade. Well, I read 11. I remember reading it and going, okay, I really have to read the rest of this. So going to eBay immediately and getting the first 10. I remember that cover, though. I definitely have it. I love the Nick Fury issue, too, because that, that one is a great one-shot, but it's also, it reveals a lot of information. So that's See, a, I don't think I would have known that was Nick no, Fury. No, no, no. Reading, reading it now, in, in the context of it, now I see you know, how important that issue was. It was a very pivotal issue. I like the Constantine one. I liked the... Frankenstein, Sherlock Holmes, Dracula one. I kind of didn't not like any of them. No, for sure. For sure. So that, I mean, like, I I, 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 I could have done without the planetary authority crossover issue. Yeah, but that was just like a thing they stuck on at the end. And even I kind of like that because I really like those characters. Sure. So I like the interplay. I was, I was interested in how he was relating the two. And and he has this thing where a bunch of these characters are born on January 1st, 1900. And that's sort of, you know, Jenny Sparks was. And as soon as they said, Elijah Snow born, you know, you're very old. You were born on, uh, you know, January 1st, 1900. I was like, just like Jenny Sparks. (laughs) You know? And so that, that, that all got to me. This is a great series. It is. There's a reason why people stuck with it for 10 years as, as one or two issues would come out a year. Yep. It's one of those really seminal books from the from the last 20 years and, and there's also a reason that like i doubt this was a major seller you know i'm, I'm sure it, it was steady enough and probably sold more then than it would now but it also launched you know this is basically responsible for you know two people who could write their own ticket for the rest of their career yeah it, which is pretty interesting. I, I mean, Ellis had a couple other things going on at the same time that contributed to it. But I always got the sense that if you were a true Warren Ellis like nut, this was really this was the one. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Transmetropolitan is the magnum opus, but this is kind of like the cool indie yep. film. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like Transmetropolitan. I, I love Transmetropolitan. This is my favorite thing he's ever done for sure. But I, I, I feel like it's almost forgotten in a way. Like people will talk about Planet these Terror. books aren't talked about really. Yeah. We've moved on. There's too much. The fire hose is opened in our mouths, and we can't keep it all. Well, I think uh, you know the authority even more than this. It affected superhero comics. I think not in a great way, because people tried to ape it, and when they did, it was awful. Well, that's what I was talking about. Being him, being exceptionally smart, is that he could do the posturing and the badass thing where it felt natural and it felt like it made sense. Whereas a lesser writer would try to do that, it would come off as crass hacky yeah. crass and yep i didn't i didn't even like when mark miller took over i thought it was bad after after that yep, it was drawn by frank quietly it was it was oh i, I don't know how i could who knows i i you know again i think but it's been 20 years so maybe it's still maybe it's good i think i think a i think you would tell the difference you would say oh that's his voice that's this voice i think miller was definitely trying to i don't know if ape it is the right word but he was trying to fit in with it I would probably notice the tone shift a lot more now than I did then. Mm-hmm. But I do remember being incredibly like, who the hell is this artist? Because, <laughs> you know, Brian Hitch left, and I was like, well, there's no point of, oh, my God. But that you know? was the minority opinion I remember at the time. Yeah, People were like, what the hell is this? After Brian Hitch, because Brian Hitch is very polished and clean and very traditionally superhero and quietly comes in, and everybody's kind of lumpy and... They had those quietly faces, and I, I remember specifically on iFanboy, people were like, what has happened to the art? Mm-hmm. What was happening was, was awesome. They were very wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they were. So Planetary Book 1, it covers the first 14 issues plus an annual plus a Planetary Authority crossover. Book 2, uh, which I just downloaded while we were talking, because I didn't know it was out. 
covers, I guess, the final ish, 15 to 27. Plus, I assume there might be some extras in there as well. Yeah. It's also 430 something pages. So, this one's 426 pages. So, this is a bang for your buck kind of situation. But it wasn't like a slog. I read it in two days. Yeah. I mean, it was like, oh. You know, it, a it is an economic page. I didn't feel like I was shortchanged. It was, I wasn't flat, but it just it's it's a it's a page turner. Yeah, for sure. And I, it's just a lot of it's just a lot of fun, and it's a great great example of that that era that that Wild West period we talked about before, where coming out of Marvel's bankruptcy, there was this, this great period for comics that happened before yeah. Marvel sold itself to Disney and all these things. Not that I'm blaming that, but this is the time period. This is sort of the the, the benchmarks of it. It was a great time. A lot of great comics came out of that period. I'm glad we we're, were getting to check, check out some of them. Yeah. I think you're not going to hang us on this, but I think we might do another era next time. A different era. Different era. We're going to go backwards another era. <laughs> it gets dicier the further back you go for a while, yeah. and then it gets yeah, good it again. Does. <laughs> it's going to dip. When you go back <laughs> one, one more stop on the train... It, you're, in a, you're in a bad neighborhood, and then you get back to being a good neighborhood again. This is like that time I went the wrong way on the BART in Oakland. <laughs> so there you go. Planetary Book One. Go to ifanboy.com. There'll be a post for the show. You can tell us what you thought of this series. If you read Planetary in the day, let's have some Planetary reminiscing. That'll be fun. Yeah. Or if you have So this was the Booksplode show. As we said, it's, it's the sister show to the Talksplode, which is Josh's interview show. Last month, he interviewed Terry Moore. Next month, who knows? It could be anybody. Maybe it'll be Warren Ellis. It's, it's definitely not going to be Warren Ellis. <laughs> so... Check that out, ifanboy.com. Of course, you can always listen to our weekly Pick of the Week show where Josh and I and sometimes a special guest will talk about the week's comics. All of this happening at ifanboy.com. Thanks for listening. My name is Connor. I'm Josh. Thank you. Thank you.